0: Hey, Max. How's it going?
1: Hey, Josh. Pretty good. How are you?
0: Ah, pretty good. What you been up to?
1: Well, I'm down in Bend, Oregon right now. Um, having a good time playing in the snow. Whoa. And I just ate some really, 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 really spicy Thai food. <laughs> uh, what about you?
0: Well, uh hanging out. I put out a record on Wednesday or last Wednesday. So I have heard
1: and I've also heard it. <laughs> and it is very cool congratulations
0: well, thanks thanks i'm pretty excited about it so... i actually need
1: to go buy that on Bandcamp. Ahem, ahem. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah me and ray larson worked on it for uh like since last summer we recorded ourselves which i'm pretty excited about and we mix it ourselves too wow so, that's
1: quite yeah. a bit of work
0: yeah, but it was also just really fun being a part of the whole process from start to finish, like writing, arranging, rehearsing, playing, engineering, and recording it ourselves, and then mixing. And I think like the only thing that we didn't do audio-wise was do the mastering. We had somebody else do that.
1: But, I've heard that that's yeah. a good idea.
0: Yeah. It's nice to have another set of ears do the final yeah. bit of yeah. audio work on it. So, yeah.
1: Wow, you t- you guys took on the entire musician challenge. Just <laughs> Except is all master. the different skills,
0: exactly. and yeah, all the way through, it was really, really fun. Wow! So, yeah, uh, the horn bellows. If anybody is curious, it's a well, great record. We are here. Thank you. We are here to talk <laughs> to Haley Friedland this month. I'm super excited. She plays the trombone. She uh takes photographs. Really awesome ones. And she runs a little session, or one of the people, she's one of the people that runs the racer sessions, which is one of the longer running sessions in town. And we're just super excited to talk to her about it. Absolutely. Should we bring her in? Let's do it. Cool. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the February episode of Jazz Talk Seattle. My name is Josh. My name is Max. And today we have as our guest, Haley Friedland. Welcome, Haley. Haley. Thank
2: you so much for having me.
0: We're so excited to have you here. Haley is a fantastic trombonist, but she does so much more than play the trombone. In addition to be an amazing trombone player, she works in tour management, is a project producer, a photographer. But out of all of those myriad things that she does, we're here to talk about one of them, which is uh, she's one of the folks that hosts the Cafe Racer Sessions, which is a regular jam session on Sundays that is hosted at Cafe Racer and has been for more than a decade. So we're super excited to talk about this. Um, Racer Sessions have been around for uh, just so much of my musical life here in Seattle and excited to dig into some of the history. So when did Racer Sessions start and how did you get involved? So
2: Racer Sessions started back in 2010 um, with a group of friends mostly based out of like the UW jazz community. Uh, some of the folks that were involved, and this is definitely not a definitive list, but uh, names that I can think of are Evan Woodle, Ivan Artiaga, David Bolatero, uh, Jared Borkowski, Luke Bergman, Aaron Otime, Chris Cassiano, Neil Welch, uh, Andrew JS, and maybe Andy Clausen too, who would have been in high school at the time. Yeah. Um, so those folks all got together um, and did a lot of like in-person planning um, with sort of like an informality and then just hoping to keep it going every week. Um, and with the blessing of Kurt, who was the then owner of Cafe Racer. uh, they did a weekly session that just kept going. It was initially an every week thing, um, Sundays from eight to 10 and every week there would be a different presenting kind of like opening set um, curated by someone who would write a blog on the cafe or on the Racer Sessions website uh, talking about kind of like what they'd been working on lately, what they were thinking of doing for the opening set. And then they would usually like set a um, a goal or a prompt um, for everyone who wanted to improvise together afterwards. And it functioned in that way for a really long time in the same place, um, and then in 2017, uh, Cafe Rooster closed temporarily um, and changed ownership, um, and so the rest, the sessions continued on uh, in different spots for about six months, and then stayed at Cafe Racer when it reopened in the spring of 2018 and then uh, moved online during the pandemic, moved in person at the new Cafe Racer location on Capitol Hill uh, last year and is now an every other week operation um, mm-hmm. from seven to nine, because now we're all a little bit older and we want to go to bed a little bit earlier.
0: <laughs> Whoa, that is quite a journey. That is <laughs> that's quite a lot of history that uh, this session has gone through.
2: Yeah. And I I came on board in um, at the end of 2016, early 2017. Um, Mm -hmm. So after I'd graduated college and got to know people in the Racer Sessions community by going to the sessions. Um, And it was just kind of a a good time for a lot of people who had been working on it every week for several years to take a break, step away. Um, Sure. Yeah. And so I've been on board ever since
0: do you run it with anybody else right now or are you running the session by yourself or how does this, how does it work? These it's years?
2: always been a big community operation. Um, I'm definitely not alone in running it. Um, I do most of the curating or at least I take the lead on it. Um, and then Evan Whittle is uh, still involved in um probably would self-describe himself as like the lead archivist um, does a lot of the live streaming um, and audio recording uh, to archive the sessions. And then we have a team of volunteers every time that we meet to just sort of, I mean, the roles always change and especially right now they're different than they would be any other time, but like helping set up the stage, um, just supporting the artists and any like technical needs that they have, Um, checking vaccination cards at the door right now. Um, and, uh, just generally like being around and adds an extra set of hands or even just to be like a friendly presence to people who come into the room and, uh, might not know anyone or, or come sure. to the session for the first time.
1: These sessions are all recorded or at least they used to be correct.
2: Yes. And they still are.
1: That's so cool. I remember when that was a thing and it was kind of like not that common back then to record that much, I think.
2: Yeah, I think that it started as a way to just kind of like archive, I guess, like the magic that would happen. Because it, since everything's like free improvised and there's no like standards, no sort of like predictability to what might happen, it's always a little bit different. And it may have even just started because a lot of people were coming back, like asking if anyone recorded it because they really liked the way that they played or like they like the way that something else happened or they wanted to get in touch with like the person that they improvised with but they didn't know who it was and so if there was like a record of all of that then it just made the kind of community networking a little bit easier
0: are you recording people's names down or writing them down too as as people play or is that
2: yeah know, is the way the that we the way that we used to do it was we would um we would just like do it improvisation by improvisation. So like one would start um, the names would be written down and like their instrument would be recorded. And then that would just happen for everything. And it would be like separated track by track. Mm. Um, And now that we do most of our streaming and archiving through YouTube, we just have it all in like the body description of the video. Mm, I see. And we, uh now i think as of last week we're trying just like including all of the names that appear over the course of the night to make it a little bit less work heavy for the person archiving um yeah definitely but yeah so just coming back to what you were asking about like who's on the team um i think that i was having a conversation with somebody at the session last sunday so this is like freshly on my mind that there's this kind of like idea that the session is just being run like strictly by me and Evan and we're the ones that like, kind of holding it up with our bare hands. But really the answer is that the session is being run by like Jeremy Gonzalez and Neil Welch and uh, Marcin Bachowski and uh, really just like a great, great and supportive team of people who are kind of like flying under the radar and that we're really thankful for. And that's been true through like the whole history of the session.
0: Yeah. That's rad. It's been pretty fascinating to hear from you just now that the folks that have been involved in running and shepherding the session along has has is changed hands a couple of times, right? Like, Or changed hands, but also kind of been with a, a shifting totally. Um, community. Totally. It's
2: been always sort of like a group effort, but the role of curator has changed a lot over the years. Um, Chris Cassiano was involved with curating it for a while. Neil Welch was the curator before me. And so I stepped in when he took over and it's still been a group curation, but I take the lead mostly on like the advancing and emailing and things like that.
0: Cool. Well, one of the reasons I'm so excited about Um, having you here Haley to talk about racer sessions and what it's like to run a jam session is that one of our hosts, Max Holmberg sitting right over there runs the beaver sessions, another regular jazz jam session here in Seattle that happens on Sundays. And, but uh, the beaver sessions and the racer sessions are quite different. And I I guess, Max, how did you get started running the beaver sessions? I came back to
1: Seattle in 2014 and uh there was there, there were a few sessions I mean I used to go to the racer sessions and actually I, I've missed going to those um I yeah at some point I would like to try and make it back but um well in in a nutshell um a lot of my peers um when I was in high school at Roosevelt in Seattle um were really into uh, free improvisation and and a lot of like at the time, I guess modern jazz and stuff. And I love playing that stuff, <clears throat> um, but I didn't really have uh, I didn't see that much of a space. I also like playing like normal, straight ahead jazz as well, um, and there really wasn't a, a place for me to do that necessarily. So I had a couple of friends who moved out here with me, and they kind of like playing that kind of music too. So we were kind of just looking for a place to do that. Um, and so I walked down to the, the Angry Beaver one time and saw that they had a stage. And I liked the acoustics in the room. So then I talked to the uh, owner. His name is Tim. And I said, hey, I think we should have music in here. And it's, of course, like a Canadian hockey bar. And he's like, dude, you're you're insane. Like, this is a hockey bar. <laughs> We're not going to have jazz in here. And I was like, "Well, no, I think it could go. I think it could be cool." Um, you know, he just basically called me insane. Uh, and then we started talking, and it turns out that he was actually a bassist, um, and actually ended up going to Berkeley College of Music in like the seventies. And so then we started talking more about music, and and eventually he caved and said we could do a session there. So that's how that started.
2: That's so interesting that he was resistant as someone who had like experience as a jazz musician.
1: It is. Yeah. There's a bit of a notion, I guess that hockey fans aren't necessarily like jazz people or something, but.
0: Well, I hope our listeners are learning how much work goes into hosting a weekly jam session and, how much that uh, builds and holds up the jazz community in town. So thank you both for doing such a big part of uh, getting, our, you know, building jazz community in Seattle. It's, it's really, really nice that both of these sessions are so strong and vibrant and have their respective, but also overlapping communities. It's really rad.
1: Yeah. I have a question. <clears throat> um, there's a, so there's a New York Times article that m- mentions this, but I also remember from my own experience that uh, Kung Vu was kind of involved in some way at the very beginning. I, maybe I'm wrong about that, but, or at least was an influence for a lot of the people who started this, the racer session, I think. Is that accurate?
2: Um, I think that's accurate, yeah. Um, I think that like a vast majority, if not everyone at the U. Um, and within like the music and jazz faculty was super supportive of that session starting. And then like the racer sessions led to table and chairs, which was initially a record label and is now kind of like the overarching umbrella that runs racer sessions. Like racer sessions is a project of table and chairs and table and chairs does other things, um, like curating at music festivals and, Yes, yeah. partnering with other organizations. But, um, but yeah, no, Kung was definitely a supportive person of both the label and the session, I think in the early years.
1: Yeah. I seem to remember a band called speak uh, yeah. that performed once or twice. Uh, it was awesome. Yeah. It was like, such a cool band.
2: There were a lot of really, really cool bands that started through those jam sessions and, ended up recording on the table and chairs record label yeah it's just like it's such a cool archive if you go to our website you can still kind of like find through and it clicks through to people's band camps and you can still listen to the music and buy the albums but yeah cool really really cool music
0: yeah that's awesome i remember reading that new york times article when it hit in 2010 everybody on facebook and social media just like um all the UW jazz musicians were just abuzz at how exciting it is that the New York <laughs> Times is covering it with this big time article and talking about race sessions and everything.
2: So wild to think about.
0: Mm-hmm, definitely. And what's even wilder is that here we are 12 years later, the session's still going strong and it's, yeah, that's really, really awesome. So, uh, I guess a question I have is how has the scene and the music surrounding the research sessions evolved since the session began? you mentioned like a little bit of change in format and timing and uh and go it, I guess it's gone through some progression especially during COVID, but has the has the music changed? Has the sound changed?
2: I think that it has. Um so this was sort of in transition already when I started going to and getting involved with the racer sessions in like 2016. Mm -hmm. Um, Initially when it started, it was founded and organized by jazz musicians who were into like jazz rooted free improvisation. Sure. And I think that continued on for several years. And I think that's still true to a certain extent. Um, People from the jazz community who are in a free improv come to the session and participate. But one thing that, I noticed when I started to curate and started to like want my friends to enjoy the session too, and like get them involved who were Like people who weren't initially from the UW community. I myself came from like the Cornish music community and was meeting people from like the broader non-jazz music community too, that I wanted to check out the session. Um, and so I tried to, not like very. Uh, what am I trying to say? I wanted to decentralize jazz as like the basis of free improvisation at the Racer session, but not in a way that like totally eliminated it. Um, mm-hmm. But more so, made the Racer sessions a place where people of like all abilities and all levels and all backgrounds and really even like all mediums could come and participate. And be into improvising, and just really enjoy that like specific art form together. And so, I was trying to curate like a lineup that was less white and less male, um, but also a lineup that was like less, even just less focused on music. Like curating in dancers or multimedia projects or like visual projects. Cool. Um, And we even did some like more like theater and comedy based things over the years at the old location too, which was really fun. Um, And so in that way, like the session has changed in terms of it's like jam session output is the way that I would say that. Um, And I think that in most of those ways, it's good. There's been a little bit of pushback from people within the straight ahead jazz community and people who came to the sessions in like the very first couple of years who feel that like the quality of the improvisations has gone down. And I'm doing this kind of like with my eyes rolled up into the side because I just don't really, um, agree with that. And like, if a drawback of a more inclusive environment is that It's like less focused on jazz. I'm honestly okay with that. And I think that most everybody that comes to the sessions is too. And if you want to get up and do something that's like really rooted in jazz, you can get your jazziest friends to get up on stage with you. Like there are no rules against that. And like you can, like we still have a lot of like jazz based opening sets. Like it's not something that we've stepped away from all the way, but I just want the jam session to be more about free improv specifically than about like jazz free improv or classical free improv or like any like sort of like genre labeled anything you know
1: yeah it's pretty cool
2: yeah
1: yeah it's pretty unique it's a unique kind of session there i don't think there are many sessions like that around the world actually
2: we hear that a lot from people who come and participate and what's been cool is that You know, like with the changing of the scene and like with people moving away, a lot of people who have really enjoyed participating in the racer sessions and in the table and chairs community have sort of like taken that ethos and that like passion for that place with them. Um, Mm -hmm. And we're starting to see like racer adjacent sort of things pop up in other places, at least in the U.S.,
0: There's something going on in New York, right? There's like a Racer East or a Racer East Coast or something. Yeah, like Racer
2: that. East. Yeah. Whoa. So, um, <laughs> yeah, Ivan Artiaga and Katie Jacobson and Carmen Rothwell and Ryan El Soul and Mike Gebhardt um, and David Bolotero are all people who uh, participated in the Racer sessions heavily and like helped organize it when they lived in Seattle. And in the last few years, all of those people have relocated to New York City um in 2020 in like january 2020 we decided to try hosting a jam session um with just like a bunch of like seattle expats and people who had like toured through and come to the research session during their travels um and it went really really well and it kind of just expressed this like desire to make something like that happen in new york more regularly Mm. um and so that's been happening on and off since the fall, I think. Amazing. Um, and it was really fun to consult with um, Katie Jacobson specifically on that. She and I spent some like a lot of hours on Zoom and on the phone, just kind of figuring out like the best way to make that happen, and kind of reflecting on like the early days of like making the racer session happen here, um, and what worked and what didn't, in an effort to really help that thrive out there. And that's not even the only one. Like, there's another one in uh, Missoula, Montana. Um, yeah, the free sessions are run by Naomi Siegel, and that happens with Bill Kouts as well, who cool. moved back to Montana um, prior to Naomi. But the two of them have been, um, yeah, very involved with making a very similar sort of thing happen with like an overarching umbrella organization um, called Lake Bottom Sound, and then their racer sessions sort of project is called the free sessions
0: cool um and they do that
2: as a monthly i think
0: but nice yeah that's super super exciting to to me to hear that uh the music that racer sessions has spawned in seattle is drifting off to other cities like we spend like in seattle i feel like i hear so much of musicians spending time in new york i was like oh it's a big shot new york musician coming into town and bringing what they glean from the New York scene to bring it to Seattle or somebody coming in from new Orleans or any of the other really, really storied jazz cities in, in the country moving to Seattle and bringing things out. And it's really nice to also hear Seattle music being exported to other cities and other scenes and stuff that we've created here. That's rad. Definitely. So you've alluded a couple of times to tables and chairs, um, that it being a record label that's associated with eraser sessions and transformed into something else, can you tell me about how that started out and and how that changed?
2: Yeah, I can do my best um, because by the time that I got involved, there wasn't really a record label anymore, and I kind of helped assist with like the final closing of it. Ah gotcha. Um, but my understanding of the record label is that um. I'm just going to pull up like the table and chairs website really (laughs) quick just to play it safe. Oh, shoot. There we go. Um, So table and chairs is um, now an arts organization, but started as a record label in 2011. Mm -hmm. Um, It's always been volunteer run and uh, during its time as a record label, it put out, let's see, just double-checking my numbers, 28 records.
0: Wow. Wow. Um, That's quite a lot.
2: Yeah. Um, and, like, all just projects of people who were involved in the racer session. Some of them are even just, like, uh, there's, like, curator compilations that are mm. collections of improvisations or, like, opening sets that happened over the sure. years. Um, but, yeah, a lot of them are projects that started at u or at the racer sessions we were talking about kung earlier one of the projects that uh he was involved with was called agogic um mm-hmm. that record had like andrew d'angelo and kung and luke bergman and evan woodell um some of my favorite bands have been table and chairs releases um some of them bands that like don't play too often anymore. Like chemical clock was like a project of Cameron Sharif Mm -hmm. um, that had Cameron, Ray Larson, Mark Hunter, and also Evan Woodle. Operation ID was a Mm -hmm. really great table and chairs band. Neil Welch has released a lot of records through the table and chairs label. King J's bat trip, bad luck.
1: Wow. Is he on table and chairs?
2: Heat Warmer is not on Table and Chairs. I think Hmm. mostly just because it's not rooted in free improvisation. Yeah, that makes sense. But it's, I mean, Evan and Luke and Aaron are all core members of the the Table and Chairs historical team. Yeah. Alumna, if you will.
0: Super, super cool.
2: But even in the time since the label has kind of like shut down, there have been other projects that we do. And we kind of just like separate away from the sessions um, because they happen on like a less frequent basis and their mission is like a little bit different. But we do an anniversary show usually every year called Cry and Roar. Um, That tends to happen in January. I think that we're going to try and move it to the summer, at least this year, but maybe in general, just to make it more of like an outdoor affair. Mm -hmm. Um, We used to do these curations at vermilion bar which is now next door to the new cafe racer which is really exciting um but is a great bar um run by diana in capitol hill and that was a monthly curation that happened on second wednesdays for several years um and then we've done like one-off concerts too um there was a show in 2013 called Nonea that celebrated the work of Roscoe Mitchell, like focusing specifically on his record, Nonea. And that happened at Benaroya hall, which was kind of like,
1: like
2: a similar sort of like what the heck scope of like that New York times article that came out. Um, just that's amazing. Sort of amazing that like what can come together through a lot of like community effort.
1: There is a boulevard, um, next to Green Lake. And I seem to remember there being racer sessions in the middle of this boulevard at some point. Yeah. At all? Concerts was on the for? median. Oh, the median. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So that's another, um, sort of thing that started as just like a fun, what off, like, um, okay. So for context, um, the original cafe racer location was in the Ravenna neighborhood, UW neighborhood off of, um, Roosevelt and Ravenna. And there's a median, like a grassy median that runs down and separates the two lanes of traffic on Ravenna. And next to Cafe Racer, a little bit closer to the median, uh, there's a, an instrument store called Trading Musician. Um, also very story. good friends of the session. We love them. Um, and they would basically let us run um, an extension cord from their outdoor outlet across the street um, through traffic. And then we would just like plug in like a bunch of lamps and like a few (laughs) amps and, uh, just do little concerts. I mean, like it's varied a little bit every year, um, in terms of like the style of music that would be performed. Um, but we never had any issues with, uh, like, like we never got in trouble with the law. We never permitted it or anything. Um, And there were actually like a couple of years where Chris Ocasiano would make some really amazing food. Um, And they were always fundraisers. That's been like a kind of a core focus for almost all of our events is that like the money that we take from admissions would focus on like going to a local like nonprofit or creative organization or charity um, or like mutual aid fund. Um, That's cool that's been like the other kind of like key focus of table and chairs and racer sessions. Um, sometimes to a fault. Um, one of the things that we've been trying to shift into over the last few years is making sure that there's always money to pay the artists. Very cool. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's super, super awesome. Well, we've talked a little bit, um, about, uh, just the history of the session and, um, wanted to bring back to some other events that have happened in racer history that I remember. And this one in particular is just really, uh, is kind of a fond memory for me, even though it came out of a bad situation. Uh, in 2016, there was a big gas leak in Greenwood that blew up a really big chunk of the block, including the angry beaver. And I remember seeing that in the news and just being so sad because, um, the beaver sessions have been like for me, a really uh, home jazz jam session for me and a big chunk of it blew up. I wasn't sure if the beaver sessions was ever going to run again. And uh, I remember that cafe racer and you all at the racer sessions were hosting the beaver sessions for a little while. I don't remember, I don't remember how the format exactly worked out. I think it was like, either after the racer sessions or maybe a little bit before, but there was like a kind of uh, co-hosting, like, Hey, we're like friendly sibling jam sessions hosting. And it was just really, really cool. You guys are awesome.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Did did we do that back to back? I'm trying to remember. Yeah, it
1: was back to back. Yeah.
2: That was super fun.
1: It was a very like loose, like switch off. You know, it was kind of just like a general transition, I think. Totally, yeah, really and like cool. a mingling of all of our yeah yeah
2: social groups. I like that a lot. There's like those. Um, have you ever gone to those like Tom Marriott organized like um, musician happy hour things?
1: I have. That he'll yeah. Do
2: every now and then, it reminded me of that. Yeah. A little bit. Um, yeah, it was a good vibe. Um, besides the whole block blowing up. But yeah, it was
1: like, really cool to see all those people in one place.
0: Yeah. Totally. And it was cool that just that the jazz community or the music community in general, uh, you know, stepped up to the plate and made sure the Beaver sessions continued to have a home. And eventually angry Beaver opened up again and the session moved back there and it was really lovely that it survived.
2: Yeah. There's a lot of resilience in our music community.
0: Yeah. As we can see very, very clear evidence of that through COVID. And so now, uh, the Beaver, or sorry, the Racer sessions have gone through a couple iterations now. When COVID started, you all moved to some remote Zoom sessions, right?
2: We did move to remote. Yeah, we did. Uh, we did every week for the first couple of months, and then oh when gosh. we realized the kind of like the strain emotionally and mentally that that would have on our team and also even on the people participating we took a break over the summer and then we went to once a month for mm. most of the yeah like the quarantine pandemic like we did that from sure. i think the September of 2020 through like June of 2021 and then we took the summer off to beta test in person sessions and then went back to in person in the fall
0: yeah yeah it th-
2: was cool though to I don't know. I mean, I think after a certain point, everybody just got tired of looking at screens, and I think that was true not just for jam sessions, but also just for... Just across the board. Yeah. Just for meetings and performances and just trying to live stream anything became yeah a bit of a strain for everyone involved, but um, that isn't to say that uh, everything about it is negative and that we just hate it completely now because uh, there were a lot of really great things that came out of it, um, particularly gathering people from just like outside of the greater Seattle area all at once and being able to participate in that way. Um, and we had already kind of like explored accessibility, um, questions that we had about the session when we relocated for those like six months between 2017 and 2018 when Cafe Racer closed and then reopened, um, We were moving around to, like, all of these different venues in town outside of, like, the neighborhood that Racer had always operated in. And we were noticing people who, like, we didn't normally see come out to the session or that we very rarely saw come out to the session come out, like, every week for, like, the month that we were at this one specific venue. And it was because, like, it was easier for them to walk to or it was just, like, in their neighborhood and so it wasn't as far of a drive or it was on their bus route. And so these barriers that were in the way previously when the session was taking place in uh, the U district in Ravenna were gone. And we were like, even just like people were walking into the space that wouldn't have walked into the space because they just don't walk around in that neighborhood. And so like when we were doing sessions in the central district in particular, like people would come in all the time and just like ask about what we were doing and end up sticking around and participating and, it was really cool.
0: Yeah. That's super awesome.
1: Speaking of resilience. Seeing... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Max. Oh, no, I was just going to say, speaking of like resilience and community, um, you know, really supporting sessions like this and especially the racer sessions, uh, there was a shooting at the racer sessions a long time ago. That's, is that right?
2: Yes. I, mean, I remember correct. that
1: happening and that was like such an earth shaking, uh, event for so many of my friends, myself included, how did that, um, affect the community and how did they like what changed as a result of that, if anything?
2: Totally. So, um, I want to tread lightly because I wasn't involved with race sessions when that happened, but, um, I was living in Seattle at that point. So I remember it happening. Um, and it's been interesting to reflect on with people who, we're involved in like the Cafe Racer community at large, and then also with the session. Um, and there's, yeah, just like people like Neil and Chris and Evan can probably speak to it a little better than I could. But um, I mean, it was obviously traumatic, and um, I don't know. I mean, it was, yeah, it was just obviously traumatic, and the cafe was closed for a while afterwards to. Mm -hmm. sort of just give space to the people who ran the venue to take some time and recover like physically and emotionally. And, um, one of the things that did come out of it was, um, we had two sort of like memorial gatherings. Um, one immediately, like the Sunday after it happened, um, a bunch of Racing musicians just came and like improvised outside of the space. And then there was also like a more formal memorial that took places as well. And both of those were like big community gatherings and places of like public grief. And
0: yeah.
2: Um, yeah, there have been yeah. like, yeah, racer musicians who have kind of like reflected on it musically as well. Oh yeah, um, Neil has a really beautiful like musical tribute to that event. Um, But I think that, like, one thing that has kind of, like, stayed from that event is a lot of people who are from outside of the music community in Seattle will think of Cafe Racer and will think of that shooting first. Like, that's their core Mm -hmm. memory that they associate with Cafe Racer. Um, And a lot of people... Like when I would tell them like, oh, like I do this session on Sundays at this place called Cafe Research, their response would be like, oh, isn't that the place where the shooting happened? Mm -hmm. Um, Which is tough um, because I think for a lot of people, like, you know, like that is like a thing that happened and it's like really, really sad. And we hold those people that we lost in our hearts all the time and like they aren't just like footnotes in the history, you know, like they were people um that we cared about and that cared about what we did um but you know it was 10 years ago now which is like really really wild and um so many things have happened at racer um that aren't just like a place where a shooting happened you know like community has like continued to be fostered and um we've moved forward in a way that we can kind of like hold that as part of our history, but also like just build this sort of like community tapestry of like other things that Cafe Racer is.
1: Well, that wasn't, yeah. I mean, I, I seem to remember, um, people really coming together and putting their, all of their hearts into, uh, just keeping that community together. Um, after that event happened. Totally. Really yeah. Cool sessions way.
2: continued to, to happen outside of the cafe for a while. And yeah. that theme is like sort of continued, like whenever there've been, like if the, like, I don't know, I've, I've alluded to the venue being like closed for months at a time before, and we've just sort of moved through that. But even like some of my favorite racer session memories are the sessions where like suddenly the power on that block has just like gone out and instead of <laughs> at, at like 7 p.m. on Sunday night and instead of canceling the the session we just move it to somebody's living room and That's like so cool. make, we just like publicly post like somebody's address on the on the racer blog and people will still show up and it's like even more intimate and cozier and we try to keep the volume down a little because there's neighbors involved but yeah like that what sort if- of like No matter what, like, drive has always been present in the session. I think probably because they had to navigate that so early on in their, like, history as an organization. Like, free session started in 2010. The shooting happened in
1: 2012. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure the Beaver would have invited you guys had the Beaver session been going at that point. I think so, too. <laughs> yeah, and also what a better way to incorporate improvisation uh, into finding a new space at the last second. Totally. Improvisation isn't just music. It's it it like isn't everything. just
2: playing notes. It's a yeah. lifestyle, baby. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, I am curious to hear from both of you uh, what do you enjoy most about running these weekly sessions or I guess racers every other week now, but these regular Sunday sessions,
2: Max, you go first.
1: Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: well, um,
1: it had, well, it hasn't been going on as long as racer. I mean, I, I've still seen several different kind of, um, I mean, not generations, but you know, kind of, Groups, age groups of people kind of pass through and really Mm. grow as musicians. And then uh, new, younger people come in and then you can see them kind of grow as musicians. And uh, that, I really like the networking that happens. So people meeting other people that they might want to make music with or just hang out with or whatever. Um, Weirdly enough, it's kind of cool to see hockey fans randomly get into jazz sometimes
0: because
1: <laughs> typically during hockey season, especially playoff season, there'll be sometimes late games and hockey kind of takes the cake at a hockey bar. Um, so the playoff game is happening. It's going to have, you know, people are going to watch hockey, but we usually start the music like right immediately after those games are done. And it's full of hockey fans. And then all of a sudden, like jazz music starts and, Oftentimes, most of them are pretty into it. It's kind of cool. It's kind of a totally weird um, juxtaposition, <laughs> but it's, yeah, I, I like that. Um, yeah, and just it's kind of a place where I think when people who are involved in the jazz world come to Seattle, it's kind of turned into a spot that they check out. And so it's I've seen a lot of people kind of move here and then, come to the beaver and meet people. And yeah, it's just kind of a cool community hub of sorts. I think yeah, that might be my really favorite part of it.
0: Community hub. All right, yeah. Haley, your turn.
2: Okay. Um, what I really like about running the racer sessions is, um, I think like first and foremost, like just being a place of community gathering and that people know that they can always come to, uh, and i have like really learned that i love curating this was kind of like the first like curatorial thing that i ever got to do and
1: mm.
2: um it was kind of just a i didn't think i would like become as serious a part of my life as it has but i've been like really lucky to just like try things out and take chances and see what works and what doesn't and kind of like hone those skills um but it's really cool to like hear from people that I've like known for a long time that want to present new projects um, like locally or otherwise um, people are like, like, I think that the racer sessions uh, is a place that you can like try out new things and like show works in progress and like premiere, like your new record and um, like do like a little reunion with your friends. Like we have people who will have, Friends come into town and they'll set up a racer session, just as like a kind of a low key gig um, and an opportunity to play together. And um, but then, like, also people like get my email from others all the time and will like tell me that they've heard about the racer sessions or that like they played racer sessions like way back in the day before I was involved. And so it's like this constantly evolving chance to like get to know something that I feel like I know really well and like learn new fun facts about it. Um, Yeah. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, like things are always changing, especially right now. Like we get to meet new people at the cafe who are there like the other six or I guess the other 13 days. I was going to say the other six days of the week, but if we're doing every (laughs) two weeks, it's like the other 13 days of the fortnight. (laughs) (laughs) but uh yeah just like getting to know like all the like the bar leads and bartenders and the people who work in the kitchen and the various like sound engineers um and like people who there's like a movie night that gets hosted sometimes um immediately following the racer session and oh cool so, like, people will come in early for that and catch, like, the tail end of the session. And so there's, like, this fun, like, merging of communities there. Um, kind of like what you were talking about, Max, with the the hockey playoffs yeah. and the Beaver. Um, but, yeah, so just there's so many things that I like about it. And those are just a few of them. I don't know.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. That's, yeah. that's super, super cool.
2: I think so, it does come back to community for me, though. That's, like, the core. Yeah. Pillar.
0: Absolutely. So I'm curious, where do you see the racer sessions going in the future? You've just landed in a new location, new schedule, and you talked a bit about uh, some tables and chairs festivals that will be hopefully moving to the summer. Uh, what else? What else do you see in the future for racer?
2: Yeah, so I mean, all of those things. Um, one of the big changes that has come out of the last few years is we've shifted from being a volunteer run DIY organization with like a, a fistful of cash Mm -hmm. and a dream and a sparkle in our eyes um, to becoming fiscally sponsored with an organization in Seattle called Shunpike. And that provides us with a few things. um, But in particular it provides us with um, the ability to, like we just have access to grants that we otherwise wouldn't be able to apply for, for, um, under that fiscal sponsorship umbrella. Um, and like one of the things that I'm hoping we can like really continue to develop is our grant writing and our funding to just like do things, I guess like a little more professionally, like it's been like really fun to <clears throat> rag tag it and like, I think that there's been a lot of grace from people who have like presented at the session over the years, um, just like out of like the desire to be on the stage and do something within the community. But like one thing that I've just really wanted to get better at is like paying musicians what they're worth. And, you know, like we're paying people now, but I want those numbers to be higher. And, um, I think that there's like a lot of different ways that we can do that. Grant writing is one of them and like figuring out some sort of like, I don't know, like a monthly membership program, I think could be cool too. Um, if you have any ideas about perks, let me know. Um, mm. But even like so far we've been able to do things like give big and uh, giving Tuesday. And those have been like really awesome fundraising opportunities for us. Um. I want to things to just like get bigger and better. Um, I would love to like curate some kind of like surprise racer sessions and curate um, like cool summer festivals. Um, I want to do more like community outreach and partnership with other organizations. Um, Gosh. Yeah. There's just like so many things that I want to do. I think one thing that, we're looking to do in 2022 is partner with uh, the South Hudson music. Ooh, I can't talk. Partner (laughs) with the South Hudson music project um, Mm -hmm. on some curations down at the Royal room and bring the session into a different neighborhood, uh, kind of going, like returning back to what I was talking about earlier about putting the session in a different space and making it more accessible to people who might otherwise not access it. That's
0: Um, very cool. Yeah. That's awesome.
2: I've always kind of called them like field trips. That's what I think of when I think of that six months and six different spaces. So I love more that. racer session field trips um, and maybe like a return to other like seasonal and annual table and chairs events too. Mm-hmm. And growing our team. If anybody out there listening to this here podcast wants to get involved um, in any way, like you should just reach out to me or reach out to racer sessions at gmail.com and just, say so you want to get involved and tell me what you want to do and we'll make it happen. You know, that's
0: great. Yeah. That's so cool. cool. Well, how about you, Max? What's, how's the beaver sessions going to evolve? Are you going to start a record label?
1: <laughs>
2: I um, wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> probably not. No.
1: <laughs> Mainly because that's a huge amount of work and I don't have time to do that. Um, but I applaud those who have started record labels. <laughs> <laughs> that is a humongous undertaking. Um, how has it evolved or, how or how, has it,
0: where do you see it going? Um,
1: honestly, I don't know that it's really evolved that much. Um, I, I didn't really, I mean, the race recession has, is, is like a kind of a different animal, I think in terms of, uh, the unique like spirit and drive behind what what's going on there. Um, beaver sessions kind of, I mean, it's, I love it, but it's, it's, it's just kind of a community hang more than it is like, a like, um, there's no like necessarily like a mission behind what's happening. I don't think it's kind of just a space for people to play jazz music and, and not feel like there's any expectation for them to, uh, you know, they feel like they have to do a certain thing or whatever, or um, it's kind of, it helps a lot of people get into playing jazz in, in the traditional sense, I think. Um, so I think going forward, just kind of helping uh, people get in, involved in the scene and kind of learn that style of playing is something I want to keep as a, as a focus. I actually haven't thought about this really like going forward, how things might change. Um, but that was never really like the central point of why I started it either. Um, We've thought about doing nights where we feature music that people don't really know, like forgotten, forgotten music. We've done a little bit of that and that's pretty cool. Just kind of like bringing back recordings of things that are basically unheard of and presenting that music in the opening set as a way to kind of introduce more um, songs into the jazz world, or the tr- more traditional jazz world. Um, so I think doing that is, is kind of a, a goal I'd like to keep on the table. But yeah, just keeping it as a community um, hub and helping people develop these musicians and, and stuff is, yeah, it's kind of all I really want to keep uh, as a goal yeah
2: that's super important and super great work
1: yeah that's yeah i, I would also like to increase the amount that we're paying musicians too mm-hmm. i think that goes without saying for
2: sure <laughs> it's so much harder than it like you, you you can just like say it and be like we want to pay musicians more but it's like it's a really hard thing to just like you know it's like so make synthesize it's especially for the racer sessions, like one of the things that's always been true and that I want to keep true forever is that I just, I always want the Racer sessions to be free and open to the public. And so when you take that piece out of the puzzle, same with the beaver. Yeah. It's like, it's if there's no admission, like that's the obvious, like let's pay musicians through an admission fee and it, Mm -hmm. it, it complicates it to take that piece of the puzzle out, but it just means that like the, other avenues that get you there are a lot more difficult like applying for grants that you just like get turned down for over and over again and yeah like figuring out the donation thing it's just it's super challenging and uh yeah it just takes a lot of work and so I commend you for that and
0: there's something really cool about that too uh just that not having it free for people to just show up to because you talked a little bit earlier about accessibility as a thing and that keeps things super super accessible for anybody who just wants to stop in and check it out. So for example, like I know I've gone to the beaver sessions many times and seen people come in. uh, Maybe they don't have that much time and they're just here to see what's going on in Seattle, or maybe they are musicians that work in Seattle, but want to stop by and only have time for one song and they feel like they can do that because they're not paying a cover charge and feel like they got to stay the whole night they can just stop by for a little bit and that's really cool
1: and also i think when you introduce a cover charge for something like a session then there that introduces an expectation of a certain kind of performance i think right even if it's like two dollars it's still suddenly a different thing and it's now going to be people are going to go in and expect uh, like a certain kind of presentation. And I don't, I never really wanted it to be like that.
2: Me neither. And I think that there's not really, I can't, I can't at least think of any jam sessions off the top of my head where you have to pay a cover charge. And I think that's really cool. But I think that there's also like, there aren't like a great wealth of jam sessions that I want to like personally attend either. And I think because there's like this expectation of like that you're going to play at a certain level if you go and play and that you're going to like know certain tunes and like all 12 keys and just like be ready to shreddy, you know? And
0: <laughs> That's the best phrase. I got to remember that one.
2: Oh <laughs> yeah. Put put that one in your back pocket, baby. But, uh-huh. but yeah, it's just like, that's for me personally, that's just like not the kind of like jamming that I want to be doing either. Like I don't want to, be, like stressing out about like what's going to come out of my horn and what people are going to think about it. And I mean, for me personally, like free improvisation is just a way to like take that. And like, I, it just takes that nervous energy out of it because I can just like get up and play again. And there aren't really expectations about what I'm going to sound like and what anybody else is going to sound like yeah. either. That's like one of the things I like about the beavers. Like I don't feel that like sense of expectation about like, how much of a standard I'm going to know or like what, like, I don't know, like what advanced chords I'm going to be playing over like the standard that I get up and play there. Um, Good. And I think like that's existed at like other sessions too. Like when Ivan Arteaga was running the uh, session at the Royal room a few years Mm, ago, that was just like in the front room. Yeah. Yeah. The salute sessions. Like I loved that session and I loved it because like, there was always a book in like the key that I read and the clef that I read that I could, Check out, and so I wasn't like left guessing, and like it was like untraditional. Like, I don't, I have never like heard of any other sessions where there's like a book there waiting for you. Like, maybe you come with your real book to like a jazz jam, otherwise, and like some places will be like totally fine with you doing that. And like some places, like the, the musicians will kind of like give you the side eye if you get up with a real book and are like referencing that. That's just that's a whole nother conversation, but. Um, I've just always been a really big fan of jam sessions that, um, take those like barriers away and make those spaces more accessible to people of all levels. And that's really rad backgrounds. Yeah.
0: I love that.
1: Yeah. There's, um, there have been a handful of times where people have brought in like handwritten charts for their own songs that they've written. Oh, wow. And that's kind of a cool thing. Josh and I have actually even talked about this a little bit, but it might be kind of cool to get more of that happening, where people bring in their own music to play. That could be kind of a cool goal.
2: Yeah. That sounds super cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah, more I places think that To workshop be...
0: new new material, new new compositions that, um, yeah, just would be really really cool to do at a session. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I'm super into that. Keep that idea. Run with it.
0: <laughs> yeah well we are coming up on time here thank you so much haley for joining us and talking about your experiences yeah, with yeah Sessions. it's been super super awesome think i think maybe some of our listeners don't understand how much work and how thankless of a job it is running sessions and building community like this but it's deeply deeply felt and appreciated i think by a lot of musicians like myself that we get to benefit from it and get to Either participate in the sessions, but also just hear the gorgeous music that comes out of projects that are birthed out of these sessions, and it's it's super super rad. Thank you, please keep, please keep doing it. It's really awesome.
2: Uh, I will. Thank you so much for having me. And again, yeah, like thank you to just all the people that help make the research sessions happen alongside me, to our production volunteers and our grant writing volunteers, and just the people who come out every week and keep that body of community in the room
0: awesome yeah just thankful well any last minute shout outs for uh particular sessions that we should be watching out for coming up
2: yeah so um again we're doing every first and third sunday now um sometimes fifth um, but most of the time just the first and the third. Um, and so the session that's coming up next is February 20th, mm-hmm. um, and that's going to be Jay Roush and Ryan Carrar. And then in March, uh, the clarinetist James Falzone is going to present a session on March cool. 6th. Um, and I haven't, I can't really say who's performing on the 21st yet, mm.
0: um,
2: which sounds juicier than is actually like <laughs> the case, but yeah, um, there's a, yeah, we just sort of like put the kibosh on like fully confirming stuff because we weren't sure what was going to happen with Omicron. But sure. now we have like a, a lineup of people who are going to play the sessions through the spring and just like things aren't confirmed, um, including someone on this podcast.
1: Ooh. It's Josh. What? Josh is going to maybe play a session <laughs> with,
2: uh, with Ray Larson in the coming weeks. So stay tuned for that. Um, new record's like, awesome. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Buy that baby on Bandcamp. Yeah. Um, and then as for me, um, I'm going to actually be stepping away from the sessions for... Most of March, because I'm going to be on tour, doing some tour managing, um, and that'll be true in April. Well, no, I'll be here in April, and then I'll be gone again in May. So um, what's really cool about that is that we'll start seeing other racer volunteers like step up and take the mic and do more of the kind of like, quote unquote, in the spotlight sort of stuff, and it will be proof that I am indeed not the only person running the session. Nice. so Very cool. I'm excited for that to, to get more people on the microphone and talking about how racer sessions works and being that kind of like community voice. Definitely. So that's what you can expect through the spring.
0: Cool. Well, yeah. thank you again for joining us. And for all of you listeners who've been listening to jazz talk Seattle, go to the racer sessions, go to the beaver sessions and make lots of amazing music.
2: Yeah. Do it. And friends. We'll be happy to have you. <laughs> <laughs>
0: You've been listening to Jazz Talk Seattle, a monthly podcast hosted by Josh Howe and Max Holmberg, mixed by Ronan Dalil.